Man, what a blessing this morning has been already. Amen. I just, uh, I'm just so inspired by uh, when opportunities arise for us to sing praises to the Lord. And I hope that you don't miss those opportunities. Sometimes it's easy just to let other people sing, but may our hearts lift up our praise to the Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to turn, ask you to turn your attention to John chapter number 11. And we have been looking uh, over the last several weeks of this beautiful passage of Scripture, this place where we see the resurrection of Lazarus. And today we come to the end of this passage and, and this time, and we're going to see the reactions of those that witnessed the resurrection. And reali the reality is, is that the book of John has been written uh, for the purpose, the express purpose of helping people to believe. Really, that's the central theme of John's gospel, as he emphasizes this saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, throughout John's gospel, his desire has been that people might believe that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says in John 1.12, he says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, his desire from the outset was for those who are maybe skeptics, maybe those who are agnostics, that they would hear the story of Jesus Christ and put their faith in the risen Son of God. You see, that was his desire. And so as we come to this, we come to the Gospel of John and we see one of the final miracles that John emphasizes. Now, Christ did many more miracles. John emphasized this in his Gospel. And he said, listen, the books could not contain, the world could not contain the books that could be written about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. But John says, listen, these things that I've laid out here were just so that you might believe. And so we have seven major miracles <clears throat> that John has put forth. And this one being the culmination of all of those miracles, one of the finest uh, that Jesus performed was to raise a man who had been dead for four days. Man, what an incredible miracle. We talked about uh, the culture there with the Jews was very common for them to believe that the soul would hover above the body for three days, but by the fourth day, the soul would depart and go on to, uh, to heaven. And, and so to, for Christ to wait four days said, listen, this was not just some sort of soul reentering a body, but this was a divine miracle that only God could perform. And so he says, listen, I've told you once, and now I want you to see my works. I am God. That's what Jesus was testifying there to those people. And so we come to the end of John 11, and we see the reactions of all of those that were there gathered that day. And it is with this purpose that, Jesus, that John wants to consistently present that Jesus is God in human flesh. The seven times Jesus said, I am, these I am statements of Jesus are the emphatic declaration that Jesus is God throughout, over and over. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he proves it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And so as a response of the unbelieving Jews, we see that they were outraged because they understood what Christ was claiming. And so to authenticate his claims, we see Christ perform these miracles. John chapter 11 and verse number 40 he said this, said I not to thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. He said, listen, he was telling Martha and Mary that day, listen, if you just believe, you're going to see something miraculous. You're going to see something amazing here if you'll just simply believe. 
Well, I have no doubts in my life that in my life in January 31st, 1988, uh, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and God has allowed me to see something miraculous. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. No longer am I hell-bound, but now I'm heaven-bound. And I hope that there's been a moment in your life where you could say, I can go back to that time when I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And I tell you that that is a miraculous moment. You may have never seen anything like what, what's illustrated here in John 11, but if the Lord saved your soul, you've seen something miraculous. And may we always be willing to rejoice. This week I got a call from, uh, or a text message from Sherry Baskin, and she shared with me, she said, Jack just led the AT&T tech guy to the Lord. I said, hallelujah, man, what a joyful thing. All of heaven's rejoicing over this one soul that repented and was saved. And so, and so John indicates in his gospel, it is so important that you believe. And here we see that there is a difference. Those that believe, those that reject. John 3.36 says, and he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Man, what are we afraid of? I have nothing to fear on this earth. I'm not afraid of Russia or Ukraine. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm not afraid of those things because the Lord's given me everlasting life. Not a life that's just temporary, but a life that endures all of these things. And he says, contrary to those that believe not on the Son of God shall not see life. And you have much to fear if you've never put your faith in Christ. He says, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, some people are going to listen and they're going to see as we see in the text today. Some are going to believe. Some are going to reject. They're going to become fearful and run and tell the, the Pharisees. And then there's going to be another group that are just indifferent. I, life is busy. I don't have time for that Jesus stuff right now. I've got other things to do. But whether you're indifferent or whether you're fearful, let me just remind you this morning that being indifferent is also choosing. Luke eleven twenty three. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And so Jesus said, listen, you can't be apathetic. You can't just, a non-decision is a decision. And so this morning, let me ask you, before we ever get started, what is your reaction to the resurrection? Now, during Jesus' ministry, some of the Jews reacted to him with open hostility. Now, people from his hometown of Nazareth, for example, they rejected him and even attempted to stone him. Others accused him of being demon-possessed. We remember going through that. The religious leaders, they were the same way, but eventually we would see that these same religious leaders would uh, successfully plot the crucifixion of our Savior. Listen, they were not believers. They didn't see, they accused him with blasphemy. They, they demeaned him for associating with outcasts. They harassed him over and again. They disputed his authority. They challenged his teach, teachings, and ultimately they killed him. You know, the majority of people reacted to Jesus with just indifference. I'm too busy. There's too much going on. They were just maybe lukewarm. They were false believers. We saw this while Christ was here. There was a multitude that followed Jesus and multitudes, thousands that would follow him. But at some point in his ministry, as he began to teach and preach, there was some point that they said, I'm no longer going to follow. And John 6, 66, I've always thought it was intriguing that God uh, allowed it to be John 6, 66. Mark of the beast, revelation. Yeah, okay. From that time... Uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were lukewarm. They wanted the bread. They wanted the, the, the miracles. They wanted these benefits for their life, but they weren't really disciples of Jesus Christ. At one time, he stated the indifference shown, uh, there was an indifference shown by three cities, Tyre and Sidon. 
He said they were full of paganism and in the immorality of these cities that were worse than what they had gone through because they at least had Jesus to be their witness. In Revelation, there was a church in Laodicea who was rebuked for their indifference and lukewarm spirit. And let me just say that today, I think we're living in a Laodicean age. And many people, many Christians were so distracted. And I appreciate that message this morning, Brother Hilton. Man, the man of God was on fire today in the Sunday school hour. And if you missed, uh, if you were in another class, I'm sure you had a great lesson. But I got to hear uh, one of my favorite men of God uh, preach the Word of God. And what a joy it was to hear him preach. And I tell you, this is not a time to be lukewarm or passive, but a time to be on fire and excited and passionate about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.16, Jesus warned this church. He said, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Man, what a, what a great warning. And so all of that is just as a preface as we go into this John 11, verses 45 through 57, and ask yourself, how do I respond? What is my reaction to the resurrection? Verse 45, would you look there with me, please, in your Bibles? Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went to their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And thus spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence into a country near to the wilderness and to a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among, uh, among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye, that he, will not come, uh, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where, uh, where he were... He should show it that they might take him. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning, and we want to thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the truth that is there. Lord, for the fact that you revealed yourself in a very, in a very real way when Jesus came to this earth. Lord, because Jesus is God, we get to see you through him. And so we just pause today to worship Him and praise Him. And I just pray that this morning as we review those that have responded and reacted to the resurrection of Lazarus, that, Lord, we today would also react appropriately to the resurrection of the Savior. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for this moment we have together. And, Lord, may it be used for Your profit, for Your glory, and for Your honor. Remove distractions and hindrances, and may the Word of God go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here in our text, we're confronted with some reactions that happened. And briefly, there was three that we're going to look at today. Uh, and it is in our same day, we see the same responses. Now, people, uh, oftentimes that people will respond to the gospel. You present the gospel, and there's going to be a varied responses. When I knock on someone's door for the first time, and I begin to talk with them about the Lord, sometimes the door is slammed in my face. They want nothing to do with the truth of the gospel. Sometimes it's warmly received. Sometimes they've already received it. And so uh, just there's varied reactions even in our own day today. But ultimately, we must all make a personal choice. My mom and dad were our good godly people. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord. But listen, their salvation doesn't mean that I'm inherently saved. I must make that decision. And so must you. You may have been raised in a Christian home. Well, you may have been born in America. America who was, wants to be boasted as a Christian nation. But let me tell you, just those things do not make you inherently Christian. You must see, you must believe, you must put your faith upon Him and call upon Him for your own choice. And let me just say too, it's great to have our own Lazarus back with us. Brother Jesse has been down and sick and so was graduated. He wasn't dead, folks. But I'm sure he felt like it, so it's good to have him back here with us and we praise God for his healing. So let's look first to this first group together. In verse number 45, we see the faithful, those who chose to be full of faith. In verse 45, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did. What does it say, church? Come on, let's say it together. What does it say? Believed on him. Good. You know, I love being born in Missouri. Uh, I wasn't born in Missouri. What's wrong with me? I'm here too long now. God save me. <laughs> I love living in Missouri. Let me put it like that. In Missouri, what's our motto in this state? Show me. Right? We want to, we want to see it. Seeing is believing. That's kind of our, our motto here. We're not going to believe it until I see it. You know, that's, that's kind of our, our hard-hearted, hard-minded mindset. And, you know, as we come to this, that's kind of what happened here in verse 45. They saw what was going on. They saw the miracle. They saw Jesus Christ. And they said, listen, we believe on Him. We put our faith in Him. Listen, they were able to see the evidence of Christ's deity, and they chose to believe. This was no simple trick, not a magician's trick. There was not some sort of a, 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 a sleight of hand or anything like that. But it was a powerful manifest, manifestation to all those that gathered that proved that Jesus is God. There's another time in Scripture when one said he would not believe until he saw. Do you remember this in John 20? After Jesus had been resurrected, Thomas the doubter, he gets gathered there with the other disciples. The other disciples had seen Jesus. And then Thomas said well, what every other Missourian would say in verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. And this was his response. Except I see that in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into, uh, uh, into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I've got to see it. Before I ever believe, I've got to see Thomas missed the opportunity to see Jesus. He expressed doubt as a result, and skepticism uh, was, just, was just in him until he could lay eyes on Jesus too. Well, this is, like I said, this is a concept we're pretty familiar with. Before I ever buy a car, listen, I'm not going to buy a car on carguru.com and have them deliver it to my door. I'm sorry. I want to go look at the car. I want to go touch the car. I want to drive the car. I want to experience the car. I want to see it, okay, because seeing is believing. Because, listen, there's a lot of lemons out there. You know, and we, we look at that and we think, uh, well, Pastor, where's your faith? Well, that's good. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ, not on carguru.com. 
Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things, what church? Hope for the evidence of things not seen. Listen, this hope is not an uncertain hope built, uh, built upon lottery tickets, right? I don't have a lottery ticket faith where I'm going to scratch that, and I hope you don't play. That's a waste of your money. But listen, I, that's not my kind of faith. My kind of faith is built upon, one, the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Listen, and the Word of God is filled with eyewitness accounts that saw Jesus Christ resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can go there in your Bible. It'll be also be on the screen. But I noticed the, the color choices this morning were a little bit hard to read, so your Bible might be better. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and then He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then listen to this fourth, uh, fifth verse. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And it goes on and says above 500. Listen, Christ was resurrected, then he was seen. Eyewitness accounts are recorded in Scripture. 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, we, we see this testimony as well. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Talking about Jesus, remember? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we see in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, Jesus Christ, which we have heard. These were eyewitness accounts. They heard him, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, these eyewitness accounts and throughout Scripture, God's revealed His plan for salvation for all of us. God has revealed Himself to us so that, verse 3 says, we may have fellowship with the Father and the Son. You see, folks, my faith is not built on hope so, maybe so, kind of so. My faith is built upon the assurances, one, that I have in the Word of God, but on those eyewitness accounts that personally saw, witnessed, talked to, touched Jesus Christ. That's what my faith is built upon. As these, this multitude saw Christ there that day, they had an option. They could choose to believe what they had seen, or they could choose to reject. Thomas, I want to share the end of that story with you about doubting Thomas. As Christ was talking to Thomas, he told him that those that had never seen but had believed were even more blessed. Let me pick up the narrative in John 20, verses 26 through 28. It says, And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas, notice John points out, Thomas was with them this time, guys. Then came Jesus... The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then he looks at Thomas. Thomas there, Thomas probably jaw dropped. And he said, Guys, you guys were right. And it's just stood there dumbfounded. And Christ looks over and says, Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand. And he pulls across his, his, his robe there. And he says, And thrust it into my side. And he says, And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God. You see, may, I, you may have never seen the resurrection of Lazarus. I know I did, and I went alive then. We haven't seen the resurrection of Jesus, but we've been given a perfect account of that day. 
in which we can put our faith and our trust, and then we too can believe on Jesus Christ. And that's the next point I want to share with you, that we can believe on Jesus. This statement that they believed on Jesus, Jesus was simple but critical. Saving faith is always placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. No other. It's not they believed uh, uh, on Jesus and anything else. It was believed on Jesus alone. Christ alone, the Bible says in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice he didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. He says, I am the way, singular, only one way to get to heaven. And he says, no man cometh to the Father but by me. Why? Because Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 reminds us, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so God's word teaches us that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. So these folks that were gathered there that day in John 11, and they saw the resurrection of Jesus, they had heard his words that he had claimed he was Christ. He claimed he was the Messiah. His claim was he was God. And as they saw this miracle, they chose to believe. I mentioned earlier that not everyone who has seen believes. There are some that maybe come along a little bit and they begin to look. And, and Christ talks about this in the parable of the seeds that have been sowed by the farmer. And there's four different fields, four different hearts, if you will, that receive the gospel. Some that are stony. And this, the seed springs up. Looks like there's life. But when the sun comes and the hardships and the trials of life come, that seed withers and fades away. And that plant dies. Then there's others that are planted in the good ground, in the fertile soil of the heart. And when, the, uh, when uh, that seed is planted, that plant comes up full, lush, full, bearing fruit. That's a heart that has truly received the Lord Jesus Christ. So why do people so often start to follow God but fail? Often, it's just because they have never received Christ. Listen, people often tell me, well, I believe in God. Preacher, don't, don't get me wrong, I believe in God. Remember, uh, there was man, many people over the years that say, Preacher, don't worry about me, I believe in God, I'm going to do fine. But let me just tell you what James says in James 2.19. He says, Thou believest that there is one God, well, thou do as well. That's, that's great. The devils also believe and tremble, but they're not saved. Listen, it's not just about believing in a higher power. It's not just believing about there is a God. And Wednesday night we're going through this uh, biblical worldview and helping establish and understand the cultural events that we are going through today through the lens of the Scriptures. Uh, and so as we did so, we talked about the evidence of God, not only in the Scripture but around us. And as we look at everything, we're reminded that, that God has revealed Himself on the hearts of man and in nature around us that there is a God, but it's not enough to believe that there is a God. You must also put your faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to go to heaven. On January 31st, 1988, I realized I was on my way to hell, and without Jesus Christ, I would be bound there eternally. Not, it's not a purgatory, not a temporary thing, but a permanent place of suffering. And God says, listen, I don't want anyone, and I don't, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. And He calls and He says, listen, I've sent my Son, Jesus Christ, that you might be saved, and I invite you to come and receive Him as my Savior. And that's what these folks that day believed. They put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It said, this is the one we believe. Salvation manifests itself in a, in a life. John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he spake these words, and many believed on him. And then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. It's evidence in a life. 
When a person claims Christ but continues to follow uh, Satan and they continue to follow their own way, I, then I would say their salvation is circumspect. And I would begin to wonder and question about what's going on and the reality of their conversion. But let me also say that when a, a life is changed and, and someone calls upon the Lord and it's, it's not the same, but they're following the Lord, I tell you, then there's a genuine evidence there. But let me just say, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, let me just share this with you. Paul wrote, and he says, For I am persuaded, I am convinced, there's, no, there's nothing that can remove me away from this truth. He says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, what a mighty God we serve today. Oh, what a wonderful, loving God. And He has, uh, when, then when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are eternally saved because He keeps us. Well, let's look at the next group, if we can, in verses 46 and following. Verse 46. Now, Brother Hilton, in his message today, said that in the old time, preachers just went until they ran out of uh, sermon. And you'll be happy to know we're on point two of point three. So we're just going to go until we run out of sermon. He said that was permitted. Some of you are saying, oh, I'm getting squirmy already, preacher. All right. I am conscious, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to get us out of here on time. Here we go, verse 46. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Could you imagine being there that day, if you will, just a moment? Looking and seeing this dead man raised back to life, seeing this man walk out of the tomb, and Jesus proclaiming, cut loose those cloths that are binding him. Some of them would look and say, Jesus truly is God. Look what the great things he's done. And they believed. But then there was another group of people that became fearful. They saw the evidence of what had happened, and there was fear in their heart. We're going to look at some of that fear that's put on by the Pharisees in just a moment. But I just, just want to uh, just ask you, what would your response be? What has been your response? In verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? What an important question for them. Now the Pharisees, the Pharisees were those that were probably more common than the Sadducees. And so uh, the, the people, when they saw this miracle, they went and told the, the Pharisees, almost like, you remember tattletales as children? You mean, don't be a tattletale. We tell that, our, our kids sometimes do that, and sometimes our kids still tattletale on each other. You know, as a parent, sometimes I appreciate that, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> then I know whenever Asa does wrong. I'm just kidding. But you know, they were like, I just see them like that in my mind's eye, these little children that are running to the Pharisees, and you won't believe what Jesus did over here. And if someone believed the words. If, if, just think about this. If you really believed Christ, would you run away and tell the Pharisees? More than likely, you'd stay right there by, by him and be as close to the one you believed was God. You wouldn't be worried about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but when you don't believe, you're going to run and tell it to anybody else. Listen, their fear drove panic. If we look here together, we see that they ran, verse 47, to the priests, uh, the Pharisees, and then the Pharisees called together a council. Now the council, and this time the full council, was called the Sanhedrin. This consisted of both Pharisees and Sadducees together. The Sanhedrin was the ruling body of Israel uh, during that time, and it had a wide range of authority in both civil and criminal uh, and religious matters. And so they, they had a lot of authority in that region. The Romans, 
The only thing the Romans withheld from them was the right to capital punishment, which is why we see the Romans later in a few chapters uh, are the ones that actually execute Christ. But the Pharisees and Sadducees were not normally best of buddies. They didn't get along because they had very little in common. For example, the Pharisees were devoted to the law, the inspired Old Testament scriptures and their human traditions. The Sadducees were accepted only the Pentateuch as authoritative. The Pharisees affirmed the resurrection of bodies, the existence of angels, both of which the Sadducees rejected. The Pharisees were nationalists and they chafed under the yoke of Rome. But the Sadducees were just compromising and they were political opportunists, so they did whatever they could to stay in power. The Pharisees were primarily from the middle class of Jewish society. The Sadducees tended to be from the wealthy, aristocratic parts of society. But despite their differences, they had a mutual hatred for Christ. You remember that old proverb, the enemy of my enemy makes him my friend? Well, that's what we thought would happen in WW2. Now we're didn't playing with Russia like they're no longer our enemy. But what brought these groups together was the threat that Jesus posed to their power. Listen to, their, to verse 48. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. What are they talking about here? Listen, they were fearful. They were worried about the place. They were worried about their position. They were worried about the temple. They wanted to be able to retain that temple. They wanted to be able to retain uh, their position in the, uh, the nation. They wanted to keep a nation. Their faith was not in the Lord. Their faith wasn't in the, the Messiah. Their faith wasn't in those things. They just simply were believing in their own abilities and powers. Listen, that's not unique for our time, is it? We think about all that we have going on in our world and the corruption uh, that has gone on that's rampant around us. And we think, how are we ever going to get through this? And we'll remind you, when we keep our eyes on the Lord, all of those things seem to fade. All of the problems around us and the problems with governments and these things. I said, listen, uh, as we were watching a special last night about Ukraine and Russia uh, just before bed. And, and that's a good way to put you to sleep. Uh, but... Uh, and we were watching, watching this special uh, that Mike Huckabee had put on, and we were kind of watching and, and learning a little bit more about what's actually happening on the ground and the perspective of what's going on in Russia versus America. And as we watched all of those things, the Scripture kept coming to my mind, and in those days there should be wars and rumors of wars. But he says, don't get discouraged. Church, we may look around us and we may, we may bite our nails and we wonder, we may become fearful, but let me tell you, fear drives panic and we can't look at all of these things and say, man, what's going to happen next? Instead, let us look up and say, we serve a mighty God. He's working out a great plan and my faith is in Him, not in the governments of this world. You see, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they were worried. They were, they were uh, concerned about all that would go on. Listen, they knew that Pilate was ruthless. They'd, he'd already demonstrated that in Luke 13, 1. It said that whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He was a ruthless uh, a dictator. And he, they knew that if uh, they had stirred the pot, if you will, there in, in Jerusalem, that Pilate would come in with his forces and destroy because Rome did not tolerate insurrection. So they were fearful. Listen, fear drove their panic, and fear drives our panic. That's why God calls us not to have a spirit of fear. God says that you should not have a spirit of fear, but of power and a love and a sound mind. But when our love is in the Lord is genuine, and when we understand that His love for us is genuine, 1 John 4, 16 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect, fear, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, 
he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Man, what a, what a great scripture. I, I hope you take time to meditate on that incredible scripture in 1 John 4, 18 and just consider that in your marriage. Consider that in your relationship with the Father. That's why God reminds us that He has not given us the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7, I've quoted a lot. It's on the screen. I just want to share with you, God has given us a, a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. So if you find yourself giving in to fear, I urge you to take time to praise God. You see, the opposite of anxiety is trust. The opposite of fear is faith. And that's where Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, church, today, I'm thankful to be part of a church that has their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to be a part of a group of people that is not looking at the world around us in fear, but instead we're looking up by faith and saying, listen, what, what man may call a time of despair, God says this is a time and a moment in history where he's called us to continue to carry the gospel into all the world, to plant churches, to send missionaries, to be able to say, God, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. This is not time to pull back to push forward, and this is time to be able to say, God, we're going to trust you, we're going we're to uh, allow ourselves be given wholly to you. So what happened to these Pharisees? What happened to these religious leaders? Why did they get their eyes off the Lord? Because they had problems with pride. Listen, the root of all their fear was their pride. Pride brings problems in our life. Pride keeps us from humbling ourselves. Pride destroys our marriages. Pride destroys our relationship with God. Pride destroys our relationship with others. Folks, let me tell you, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, uh, and each of these men, they were elevated to a position they did not deserve because at that time, what we have learned through history is that Rome had given the seat of the high priest not to someone who was, uh, who was necessarily spiritual, but to a person whom they liked at the moment. And so instead of the high priest at that time being a person who had walked with God, who trusted in the Lord, this office of the high priest was simply a, another Roman seat that the Roman governor would give away. Listen, this is not time to follow false uh, men of God. This is time to follow the Word of God. This is a time to tr trust in the, uh, the, uh, the Lord in all, with all of our hearts and say, Lord, we want you to get glorified. And so we see Caiaphas this high priest, Caiaphas, this false man of God, if you will. In verse 50, he says, that is it expedient for us that one man should die. Not knowing that his words were prophetic, he was speaking in the physical. He said, listen, if we kill Jesus, this, this thing will pass away. People will forget about him. Little did he know. Amen. Amen. But he was saying, listen, there's nothing to worry about here. Their fear drove them to kill Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Listen, Caiaphas didn't know that, that his prophecy was actually a prophecy for all of us today, that this one man's death would be the one that would be able to cover the sins of all mankind when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, let me tell you, what a glorious thing when we see what Christ has done. What a glorious thing when we put our faith in the risen one. What a glorious thing when we say, all to Jesus I surrender. Listen, not only would Jews be saved, but Gentiles. Jesus was able to bind these groups together to take this broken, fragmented world. I look across our church and I see the differences in our church. 
And I'm reminded that it is Christ that unifies. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. It says, listen, these backgrounds don't matter. There is neither bond nor free. It says your, your, your wealth doesn't matter. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You know what he said? The ground is level at the cross. We must all, if we want to be saved, we must come in our humility before him and say all to Jesus. Listen, I... I, I, I've been going away, Lord, and I have lived in my sins, and I've been, I've been running from you and rebelling from you, but today I repent of that. I turn, and I turn toward Jesus Christ, the only one that could save me, and I put my faith in Him alone for salvation. I tell you, when I call upon Him for salvation, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I want to share with you one last group, and we'll be done this morning. It was the indifferent. Those that were gathered there at the very end of the, the passage in verses 55 through 57. There was the Jews that were busy with the Passover. This was the Passover season. This is the third time John mentions the Passover. And this is uh, right before Christ is crucified. And, and so there is a lot of activity that happens in Jerusalem at the Passover season. Matter of fact, it was estimated that there were probably over a million people in Jerusalem during that time. That's a lot of people. And as they gathered there that day, and as they're going around, they're, they're wondering about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've seen Jesus, and they thought, well, where is Jesus? He's a, he's a good, holy man of God. Surely he's going to be here, and they couldn't find him. But they didn't. They weren't concerned enough to do anything about it. Look in verse number 56. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple. What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? They looked for him, but they weren't really serious about it. They were just kind of apathetic in their approach to Jesus Christ. Among all the activity, it was, it was uh, really distracting for them. We live in a world that's more distracted than ever before. And folks, let me tell you, there are times even right now that we can be sitting in church and, and I can be just as guilty. We can let our minds wander and we can let other things take preeminence. That roast that's in the crock pot. Anybody got a roast at home today? One person? All right, good. Just one roast. All right, now I know where I'm going for lunch. All right. You know, seriously, we get, we get distracted thinking about these things. We get distracted thinking about other things and families and problems. And, and really, when God says, come into, when you come to the house of the Lord, just be still and know that I'm God. He says, when you come into the house of the Lord, let it be a place of praise. Let it be a place of rejoicing. But instead, we're overwhelmed with all the cares and the concerns of this world. Let me just tell you, the devil is getting the victory when we got our mind on everything down here instead of upon him. John chapter 19 and verse 15, these same that were crying for Jesus uh, were, were looking Him, for they were, they were one day be the ones that will crucify uh, Him. Listen, their fickle devotion proved that despite their superficial concern, they were just as hard-hearted, they were just as indifferent as their hostile leaders. In churches today, all across America, all around the world, I would say that the multitude of people are in this last group. Their end will be just the same as that second group. You because, because you come to church doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you make an appearance doesn't give you tally points in God's checkbook. What we see instead is that God is looking for uh, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation because He alone is the Savior of the world. And so when you come to church today, I hope that you don't come with an indifferent spirit. Well, i got a lot of things going on. Um, my life is real busy. And, and you know, this is just something I've got to do. It's on my checklist of life uh, just to, to accomplish this, to make God happy. But instead, may we come and pursue Him. Jesus warned His disciples. 
John and Matthew 7 and verses 22 and 23 says, Many will come to me that day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out, many, uh, cast out devils, and in, thund- and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, it's not just about believing that there is a God. Today you must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Dr. Harry Ironside was a tremendous Bible teacher, and he taught that salvation was like Noah inviting an unbeliever to trust God's Word and board the ark. Some believe that salvation is like Noah putting a peg on the outside of the ark, saying, if you can just hang on through the storm, you'll be saved. But we see instead that God put Noah and those believers into the ark, and He sealed the door. He saved them, He kept them, and He offers the same today. You see, Jesus Christ, He came to this earth, He died, and He rose again for the explicit purpose of bringing salvation to us. Not just those in the room, but to all the world. You see, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You see, Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus Christ had to come. He had to shed His blood on the cross so that we might have an opportunity to be saved. There must be a blood sacrifice. Christ fulfilled that once for all in Hebrews 10. Christ paid that penalty. He did that because He loves you. You see, the reality is we're sinful, and my sin costs, costs dearly. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Jesus was willing to lay down His life so that you and I might live. You see, you can accept that gift of God. It says, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.